0: Good evening. Good to see everyone this evening. We're glad that you're with us. That uh, We're glad if you're online with us. Thanks for joining us this evening as we continue in the book of John. We're going to be looking at the latter part of John chapter Where six, you see fit. Um, so I told you we were in we're in John chapter six, and Jesus is talking about being the bread of life. And he's talking about some things, and Pastor Kerry's going to unpack this. But after he talks a little bit, he realizes that um, many disciples, extra disciples, are kind of trying to fall. They're falling away. And he looks at the 12, and he says, are you uh, wanting to go too? And Peter speaks up, and he says, there's no place to go because you are the Son of God, and we know that you are the one that has the words of life. And so basically tonight we want to start off with this song, kind of ties into that, that we want to sing that Christ is enough for us, that no matter what we're going on in this world, that Christ is enough, and we have made that decision to follow Jesus. I invite you to stand and let's worship together. presence halfway through our week. That is our declaration. that no matter what we go through, you are more than enough. And so God, we thank you that you have drawn us close to you, that we can declare to you that we've decided to follow you with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, giving you the honor and the glory, because God, you, Jesus, are the only king And you will be the only king forever. King that we've been singing about. The great thing is he's not far off out there somewhere. He's right here in our midst, moving, speaking to us as we worship him.
1: You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. Stop working even when I don't see it you're working, even when I don't feel it you're working, you never stop, you never stop working, you never stop, you never stop working. We make a miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That
0: Take a moment and allow that song to sink in. How has He been your miracle worker even today? Your way maker, Almighty God, your Savior, your provider. your shepherd. King of kings, Lord of lords, crowning you with all the crowns that you deserve. For you are worthy of more praise than we can even express, that we can put words to. For we come faithfully into your presence, bowing our knee at your footstool, because you are the only one worthy of all the honor, the glory, and the power. Thank you for allowing us to come into your presence and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: You may be seated. Amen. If you would, open up your Bibles to John chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 22 as we continue to journey through the Bible and journey through John. Something really cool happened today. Kids got around the flagpoles on their campuses and prayed and not just one or two i know at st helens high school they had over 20 at uh, the middle school st helens middle school they had over 20 at Scappoose high school they had close to 40. yeah and then i think the middle school over at Scappoose had a, about 20. they're all meeting together at Scapoos foursquare a bunch of different kids for the whole youth group so we need to pray for our kids on the campus you think about the combination of all of those kids that are there and, and the impact that they could have and how uh, Satan's going to want to try to rip them off, but God's greater. Amen? So we want to definitely encourage them and be praying for our kids on the campuses. Tonight we're going to be picking up in the uh, conversation that Jesus is having with those that are followers about him being the bread of life. We let off with a song that Jesus is enough. question is, is he? Is God enough? When we think about what would satisfy us, what would satisfy you? What would really bring that satisfaction when you're in pain? What would bring satisfaction when you're confused, or when you're scared, or when you're broken, or when you're weak, or when you're lonely, or when you're hungry? Or when you're sad or you're depressed. These are all voids that we end up having in our life. And we try to shove a bunch of different things into that and and it just doesn't seem to fit. And people will try to do all kinds of different things to find their satisfaction, won't they? The difficulty is all that stuff that you shove down in that God-shaped hole won't fill the God-shaped hole. Why? Because only God will fill that, that hole. And so as Jesus has fed the 5,000 and he has taken the disciples across the Sea of Galilee in the storm, he's getting over onto the other side and we're picking up. and, And we have this group of people that are seeking after him for all the wrong reasons and really trying to explain what is going on. And there's a lot of people that will seek after or run after God for all the wrong reasons. They'll they'll try to run after God because, God, you're going to make my life better. God, you're going to make me rich. God, you're going to make me healthy. God, you're going to do all of these things. And so we've got to realize, what is Jesus' role? He is the one that provides eternal life. And so we're going to work through these these passages, starting with verse 22. And let's take a look as we pick up. He says, the next day... The crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there were no small boats except the one and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. And there came other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread and the Lord had given thanks. And so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking him. And so, it's the next day after the, the miraculous feast. The crowd's coming together, and they're searching after Jesus. What are they looking for? Another lunch. They're, they're, they're looking for that free meal. And the, and the great windstorm had taken place on the sea, and they're, they're coming to this place expecting to see Jesus. I have a little map that I want to share with you to kind of orient yourself to where we're at with this. So, Tiberius is right here. And those of you that have been to Israel with us, you're going you're gonna to remember this. So Tiberius is right here. Capernaum is right here where Jesus had been set up his, his base. We see that the feeding of the multitudes was over here. Last time we went to Israel, remember, we stayed like our hotel was like right there. And then there's somebody who is present with us to decide to go on a midnight swim. But that's a story of another thing. But at any rate, so they had gone across over here towards Capernaum. So this was the travel of the boat. So on the next day, there was a bunch of people that showed up here. Jesus was not there. One boat was there. And people from Tiberias went the seven-plus miles over here. He wasn't there. And so where'd they go looking for him? Right there in Capernaum. So this is 12 miles, and this is about seven miles all the way across. So it's not very big. In fact, I encourage you, we're starting to discuss another Israel trip, maybe spring of 24, and trying to, trying to figure out to be able to do that. We're going to do it a little bit different, though. I think we're going to start in Petra and give one whole day to Petra and, and do the whole, all of Petra, and then we'll do that. But that's it. further information. So anyways, they all show up. They gather in one place, and where did they gather? It's interesting because they gathered in the last place of blessing, expecting another blessing because it was it was what we would call locative. It was they thought that Jesus was going to bless in this place. And many times Christians um, and, and especially young believers or people that are seekers will go to the last place of blessing and think that that's where they're going to meet with God. Remember, God is everywhere. He will meet you wherever you're at. But they just go to this last place where the miracle took place. The ones are from Tiberius, well, how did they know? Well, word got around the, the lake that there was free lunch on that northeastern corner. And there was a guy that was doing miracles. And so they went over there to go see this. And I remember Tiberius was the capital of, of that Galilee area. It was built by Herod Antipas at that time. And so they go to Capernaum, back to the home base where Jesus was, and they were seeking Jesus. They wanted to go find him. Now, as I said earlier, everyone has this God-shaped hole. Blaine Pascal published in his work, The Pensy, this. What else does the craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man true happiness? of which all that now remains is an empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those things that are. Though none can help him, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with the infinite and immutable object, in other words, God himself. So Pascal would say that the hole, the void that is in man, apart from God, is an infinite hole. What can fill the infinite? Only the infinite. The infinite God. And we try all of these things. So he's confronted by these people who are really seeking after Jesus for another miracle. Notice in verses 25 to 29, he says, And when they found him on the other side of the sea... They said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What do we do so that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him, with whom He sent. So the crowd comes and they find Jesus and they ask the question. Have you ever had somebody ask you a stupid question? Maybe once or twice. When did you get here? What does it matter? They were trying to figure out this conversation, how do we open up this conversation? They found Jesus in the synagogue in Capernaum. He was there teaching. And within this, they were they were saying, well, when did you get here from the other side? They noticed the title they gave him, Rabbi. Now, that is the, the, the title that you would give somebody out of respect. You would call them Rabbi because it, it basically says teacher. They're not acknowledging him as the son of God. They're just acknowledging him as, as a miracle worker, or as a teacher, and it is a sh- sign of respect. And so within this, they are they're so keyed in on the loaves that they're missing all of these things. And so now Jesus is in the synagogue and he's going to teach. One of the things that we have to understand is that the purpose of a miracle is to get your attention so that the word of God can be delivered. The miracle is not by design to give in, to give you a miracle just so that you believe in the miracle question. What happens if you own if your faith is only based on miracles? What do you need to sustain that faith? More miracles, right? You got to chase the show. So Jesus needs to settle them down and get them focused, not on the miracle and not on the temporal provision, but on himself and on these things. They were seeking Jesus because he was they were looking for him Jesus, what can you do for me today? Now, there is a tendency to get disappointed or even angry with God, isn't there? If God doesn't perform the way that you think he should, do you get angry with him? Sure. We can get angry with God because we pray and he doesn't answer according to our prayer. We can get angry with God because he doesn't provide the way that we think he should provide. We get angry with God because he doesn't bring healing or provision, or whatever the case is that you're praying for. God, you didn't do this, so I'm mad at you. A lot of people walk around mad. And they lose sight that Jesus is not here to provide for the temporal, although he can and does. He's here to give them something better. They're going to Jesus and say, Jesus, we want lunch. And Jesus says, I want to give to you a spiritual banquet. I want the food for today. And Jesus says, no, I want to give you food for life. I want to give you something that much more. He says, you seek me now because you saw the signs, because of the loaves." He's confronting their self-centeredness and their desire. I often think that God does not answer our prayers because of our self-centeredness and our desire. Because if God answered all our self-centered prayers and all our personal desires of those prayers, then what does God become to us? Basically, a a vending machine. You know how a vending machine works, right? Drop the quarter in, out comes a bag of chips. Drop the prayer in, out comes that answer to prayer. Is God a vending machine? No. Absolutely not. And so Jesus is confronting their self-centeredness and their temporal thinking because he wanted to give them something more. Notice, in the, and it's called an emphatic prohibition. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. We all have houses. We all have cars. We all have the toys and all these things. You know what is the, the, the really sad thing about having a brand new car? The first time you wreck it. Right? Right? Or the first time that the kids throw up in it. And it doesn't have that new car smell. It's got another smell. You know, and it, it's funny because manufacturers, they figured out, you know, let's bottle a new car smell and let's give it to the soda that sort of smells new again. It doesn't quite work that way. We, we we He says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And I was thinking, there's another person that we have read about And it's the Samaritan woman at the well. Do you remember her? Jesus was at the well. The woman came out and he said, give me some water. She says, you know, why are you asking me for water? And he says, I want to give you some water, this everlasting water. And she says, I want some of that. Why? Because if you give me this everlasting water, I don't have to keep coming out to this well all the time. And Jesus said, oh, you're so missing it. She was, he was looking to supply her spiritual need. She'd been married four times, living with the fifth man. And John 4:15 says, "Sir, give me this water, so I may not be thirsty, nor come all the way out here to draw." She was looking at the temporal answer. But Jesus, get this, is not his primary lane is not to provide everything that you need for this life. His role is to provide everything you need for eternal life. Now, again, will will God make provision for you in this world? Yes, He will, according to His his plan. But the unlimited provision is for your eternal life, everlasting life. Because everything in this world will fail. And within this, He is the source of all life, because that's, that's what we need. We need to understand that he is the, he, the source of life he, that endures eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. That's a promise. For on him the Father has set his seal. How do we know, how do we know that Jesus can produce eternal life? Well, the Father has set his seal. What was the seal? Do you remember at his baptism? What was the voice that came out of heaven? What did it say? This is what? my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him as in the form of a dove. Authenticated. How do I know it's real? Because God said so. And he approved the authority. And so, these guys, they miss it. Spiritually clueless. Verse 28. What should we do that we may work the works? So he says, okay, work the works for eternal life. Work for eternal life. Is he really saying work for eternal life? No, it's more pursue. So then they go, well, what are the works that we can do unto eternal life? Now, again, in the Jewish culture, for them hearing this, which they have a works-based faith, what they're saying is, tell us what we have to do so that we might inherit eternal life. What good things can we do? What is, what is the things that we need to do? And what Jesus is really talking about is this work of faith. In the human understanding, we want a formula, don't we? I want a formula. How do I get eternal life? Tell me what i got to do. Let me check the boxes. Okay, I'll go to church. I'll be kind. I'll be loving most of the time. I'll give a tenth of my, my income to the church. All these things, right? We want a formula. That's religion. Jesus is not calling man to religion. But they're looking for the religion because that's what they know. They're looking for the formula. But understand this, salvation is a free gift. You don't work for a gift, do you? A gift is a gift. And so within this, they say, what do we do for the works? And Jesus answers them. He says, okay, here's the work. Singular. With a definite article. The word work there is ergon. It means energy. The energy that you will expend is this. Verse 29. That you believe. That you believe. Faith. That you, the word is pistis, that you put your faith in the one whom He sent. You put all of your energy, all of your person, To believe with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength that Jesus is Lord. That is what we work at. But what do we do to do that? We have to push aside all the disbelief. We have to reject doubt and disbelief. And we have to put the weight of our person in Jesus as the one whom God sent. Believing is that work of God to believe. It really means just this trust. it 's a work of faith. First Thessalonians one three says, constantly hearing, or i 'm sorry, constantly bearing in mind the work of faith and the labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, the presence of our God and Father. You've got to understand this, these words here, faith and love and, and steadfastness and hope. These are verbs. They are not feeling. They're not this emotion. Do you know that love is a verb? It's not a feeling. It's a verb. You decide to demonstrate love. Faith is a verb. You decide intentionally to put your faith. And it's not faith in faith. It's faith in Jesus. Jesus becomes that object of faith. Faith in, in human works is pointless. How many of y'all are perfect? Perfect. Can you do enough good stuff to make God happy for you? No. No. In fact, Scripture tells us our works are like filthy rags. But we need to have that faith. Well, how do I know? How do I know I have faith? What's going to demonstrate that my faith is working? Well, James will say this. James 2.17 Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. You have faith, show me your faith by your works. Faith is this, this abstract action of mind. It's the dedication of heart. But then it's demonstrated in the physical things that we do. If you have faith, you will act upon that faith. Won't you? You'll, you'll act upon it. Same thing with love. If you have love, you'll act upon that love. It's it, It's demonstrated. And this demonstrative action tells us that we have faith. You think about this. When we talked about the guy that was healed last week, last Sunday, remember? It was, it was Paul had said, uh, Stand up, right? The, the, the lame guy. And, it was, and he had been lame from his mother's womb. And he said, Stand up. And the guy had never walked before. But it says when he looked at him, he, he saw that he had faith to be healed. How was that faith demonstrated? The man who had never stood up or took a step ever in his life jumped up and leaped. So that faith that was in his heart and in his head was demonstrated by action and he went leaping. And it was demonstrated. So we, we, we demonstrate faith. And we do somewhat all the time. I have friends that demonstrate faith often. Often. I don't think I have that kind of faith when they get on an airplane with a parachute that somebody else has packed and they jump out. I'm sorry. I have faith in God, not in man. And to jump out of a perfectly good airplane is just dumb. Faith. Their problem is their their theology was wrong. It was misguided. Look at verses 30 to 34. And so they said to him, and, and... I love I love this because when whenever you get close to somebody and they start you getting close to like putting your finger on it, they change the subject. So verse thirty to thirty four. So they said to him, "What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna that's in the wilderness, and as it was written, and he gave them bread out of the heaven." And Jesus said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not." Moses, who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true heaven, true bread out of heaven for the bread of God is that which comes out of heaven and gives life to the world. Now, it's interesting. And then they said, Lord, give us this bread. Well, give us this bread. Why? Because we want this special bread. So they change the subject. And they say, well, prove it. Wait a minute. I just fed 5,000 men. Not counting women and children. You want me to prove it? And I told you that the sign of my father is is upon me. You want me to prove it? Well, once again, they ask for another sign. Human understanding says, I need to see it to believe it. Is that faith? No. No. Hebrews 11.1 one says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is, is believing in that which you cannot put your finger on, but trusting. And, and divine revelation comes from believing and get this believing and then you see it. Man says, I want to see to believe. God says, believe and you will see. That's powerful when you think about it. I need to believe to see? The answer is absolutely yes. I need to believe and see. They're looking for this work. And and they're struggling with this concept of, of faith alone and Christ alone. And so what do they do? They revert back to Religion and tradition. What is the tradition? Well, the tradition was God said, I will provide a prophet to Moses like Moses. So look for somebody that's like Moses and he will be the Messiah. So they're, they're reverting back to their tradition within this. What did Moses do? Well, Jesus fed 5,000. Moses did manna for 40 years. And so what Jesus says is, look it. Moses didn't give you the manna. Where did the manna actually come from? It came from God. Moses was just the distributor. He wasn't the manufacturer. God was the manufacturer. And the same God that manufactured the manna and gave it through Moses to the people is the same God that sent the bread of life Jesus down to earth His Son. And that's what He's saying. Same source within this. They were quoting Psalm 78, 23, and 24. Yet he commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna upon them to eat and gave them food from heaven. Question. All the Israelites that are in the wilderness, they had manna every day except for Sabbath, and they had quail. Was that enough for them to believe and enter into the promised land? No. Because when they got to the Promised Land, remember what they said. We can't go in because there are giants in the land. And these guys are saying, well, you know what, Jesus, bring some manna down and then we'll believe. Your fathers didn't believe and they had the manna. It is so amazing how people will try to deflect faith and come up with all these kind of stories, isn't it? And so Jesus, again, has to correct their misunderstanding. Moses gave manna. Jesus is the bread of life. God is the provider of both sources. Their theology was wrong, and they were worshiping Moses and the miracle more than God the provider. In John 5:26, we read, Just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son, also has life in himself. These Jews were only wanting the temporal. Why? To satisfy their self. Have you ever heard of a carnal Christian? Do you know what a carnal Christian is? A carnal Christian is one who only believes God for how it satisfies their flesh. I got. I want just enough of. I just want. I want just enough of God to make this flesh feel good. And really pursuing the, you know, the things of the flesh, and and always those those fleshly things. They say, Lord, always give us this bread. Notice what he said in third. Lord, always give us this bread. We don't want to go to the store anymore. Always give us this bread. I want to challenge you in your prayer life. When you pray, what do you pray? Do you start out your prayer with worship and adoration? Or do you go to God with a laundry list of things that you want Him to do? How do you pray? Because how you pray demonstrates your relationship. When you go to God only with requests, are you really trusting in God for the eternal or just the daily? That is part of the prayer that the Lord taught us to pray. But in the pattern of prayer, we would call it the Lord's Prayer. How does it start? Our Father, who art in heaven, holy be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Worship, adoration, sovereignty, Then give us this day our daily bread. Then forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Then protect us from temptation. See how that works? When we come to God, we should be in worship and adoration first. But check your prayer life. And if your prayer life is using God as a slot machine, we're really no different than the people that are here. God will provide. But He'll provide much more for eternal life. If you look at verses 35 to 40, what is that provision? That provision is through Jesus. Jesus said to them, notice, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you don't believe. And all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, like the manna, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me, authorized by God. This is the will of Him who sent me, that of all that He has given me I lose nothing, but raise it upon the last day, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son, note, and believes in him, will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. That is a powerful, powerful passage that Jesus just preached. What is he saying? As he says to them, well, first he starts out with one of the seven I am statements. Ego me. In Greek. It's the name of God. Remember the burning bush with Moses and Exodus? How did God identify himself? I am. But when I go into Egypt, what do I, who do I say sent me? Just say I am. I am what? I am what you need. I am enough. I am. I am the existing one. No beginning, no end. I am eternal, sovereign in all of these things. There are seven I am statements that we find in John. He will say, I am the light in 8.12. I am the gate in 10.7 and 9. I am the good shepherd in uh, 10.11 and 14. I am the resurrection of life in 11.25. I am the way, the truth, and life. John 14.6. I am the true vine. All of these are... Pictures that revealed the provision and the character of who Jesus is. And unlike the manna, Jesus is the everyday satisfier. They said, give us this, always give us this bread. Okay, guess what? If you have Jesus, you will always have that bread. Well, then how do I get Jesus? How do I get this? He's, he explains it. He's giving them this gospel message of faith. Within this. But yet they're struggling to believe, verse 36. And then we, we, he says, look, at, you, you have to believe. It all starts with faith. Do the work of faith. Believe so that you will see within this. They, were, they wanted signs and all these things, but there won't be enough signs. It starts with faith. So he, Jesus explains the path to eternal life. Now, people struggle with this. Please don't struggle with this. There is a a mystical tension that exists between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Understand, God has selected you before the foundations of the world. Before the foundations of the world, God has chosen you. Notice what he says. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. In other words, you are guaranteed acceptance when you come to Christ. Well, am I good enough? It's not about being good enough. Will, will God accept me? Absolutely he will. All that the Father gives to me. But who takes the initiative? God. Do you know as a sinner, apart from God taking the initiative, you will never seek God. Fallen man will never seek God on his own. Ever. There's an old saying, and, and, and I like it. You don't know what you don't know. Right? You don't know what you don't know. And if you don't know God, you don't, you don't know that you don't know God. Kind of like a fish. He doesn't know he's wet. It's just He is what he is. And he says, all the Father gives me will come to me. It's this collective election that God does. God takes the initiative. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. That we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. According to the kind intention of his will. Say, well, Wait a minute Carrie. I want, my, I want a choice. I want a choice. Is God going to make me be saved? Because that's not fair. Really? God's not going to make you be saved. But God's choosing you to be saved. God's choosing you to come. What about all the people that God doesn't choose? Guess what? This is your circle. And it's you and God in the circle. Don't worry about what's outside of the circle. God's dealing with you right now. Within this, notice the blessing of coming. The one who comes, that's human responsibility. God calls, you answer. Now, does God know what your answer is going to be before you even answer? Yeah. So here's here's how it works in my mind. On the front door going into heaven, there's a universal call. Come, whosoever will, enter in. I accept, I believe, and through Christ who is the door, I walk in. I turn around and I look on the door and there's another sign. Welcome, you who was chosen before the foundations of the world. Because when you believe and you get on the other side, then you understand. There is this mystical connection of the sovereignty of God. Notice in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. We know that, right? Who's the whoever that believes? Not rocket science, whoever is whoever. In John in Romans ten eleven it says as for the scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. And in Romans ten thirteen, for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved say, well, Carrie, I don't know if I'm going to be saved. What what do you think my answer is? Call on the name of the Lord and believe and find out. It's pretty simple. Remember what Jesus told him. Do the work of faith, just believe, and find out. And he says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will not be rejected. Guaranteed. The other thing that I think is so important is this. Those that are saved are kept by God. It's called eternal security. That Jesus does not lose anyone. You are saved and in God's eternal condition before the foundations of the world, we realize it in our lifetime and in our time. And he says, and whoever is there, notice verse 40. And I will raise him up on the last day. You say, well, I don't know, Carrie, now you're hurting my head. It's a lot of theology. So let me simplify it for you. You can't work your way in and you can't work your way out. It's pretty simple. You are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Well, you don't know what I just did, Carrie. No, I don't, but God does. And he doesn't lose you. We well, don't know how bad I've been. I, I cussed God out. Maybe I did blasphemy of the Holy Spirit or something. That's okay. God's got big shoulders. Don't worry about it. What is the one thing that you have to do? One thing. You only have one. One thing. What is it? Believe. God does everything else. Believe. And Jesus concludes this and says, look, at this is all God's will. What is God's will? God's will is that those that will believe will be raised up and have eternal life. Very simple. Verses 41 to 47, how they have to explain it a little bit more. Because whenever there is good theology and, and truth taught, there's always the naysayers, Right? There's always the people that take the other side. Now, those that would believe, they'll be blessed with eternal life. But what about those that reject? Now we see the other side of the coin. 41 to 71, he says this. Therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him and saying about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. And they were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does, how does he now say, I've come down out of heaven? And Jesus answered and said to them, Don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me, Note unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God, and everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from the Father, speaking of himself. He has seen the Father. Truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever in the bread also which I will give him for life, which is my flesh. So when people don't want to believe, what do they do? They try to deflect. Have you ever met people that try to deflect things? I don't want to believe. How can I believe in this guy? I know his parents. I know where he he was the son of a carpenter. And he says he's God. They refuse to believe. Well, remember the work of faith. The work of faith is unto salvation. But if you refuse to believe, you will never see. And so the Jews refused to believe because, quite frankly, they were were too familiar with Jesus. A lot of these that were gathered in the synagogue in Capernaum, they knew about Jesus and his family. Why? Because Nazareth wasn't very far away. They knew of him. They knew of his family. They knew all of this. And they were grumblers. I think it's interesting. It says that the Jews were grumbling. You know what's sad? The Jews were always grumbling. You ever invented somebody that's just like totally negative? just negative, and they never see the positive side. Well, that negativity blocks faith. I can't believe. I don't want to believe. The Jews were always grumbling. In fact, they grumbled in the wilderness and they died. Exodus chapter 17 verse 3 says this. But the people thirsted for there was water. And they grumbled against Moses and said, Note, why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock and thirst? Okay, how stupid is this? God brings them out of slavery, away from Pharaoh, building bricks with spit and and straw. And they're in the desert and they're thirsty and they say, God, you just brought us out here to kill us. Really? Does God do that much just to destroy you? No. But the hardship was to develop faith. Not to destroy them. God will allow us to go through hardships to grow our faith. You have a choice when you're in hardship." To believe or to grumble? Believe and you'll see. Grumble and you'll never see. Because God will never be enough. And so Jesus says, look, at you, you've got it wrong. And he addresses their faithlessness within this. This grumbling, this complaining, and, and this literally murmuring that's with their If God didn't care about you, then why would He send His Son to die on the cross for you? Can you answer that? If God really didn't care about your condition and your eternal life, then why would He send Jesus? He wouldn't. He would have just let Adam and Eve die and just start all over. But God is a redemptive God and a restorative God. But the grumbler and the complainer can't see that because all they see is themselves in the negativity. Martin Luther said this, God does not draw man like an executioner to the gallows, but as a gracious allurement that man willingly follows. In other words, no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. Do you realize that you are here tonight because God drew you here? God drew you here. You're in relationship with Jesus, if you are, because the work of God through the Spirit. If you're not in relationship with Jesus, God brought you here to hear how to have a relationship with Him. It's a work that God does. And He gives the Son the resurrection work. I think what's interesting in here is, is John's account, it, it, it's called the Trinitarian View. Father, Son, Spirit. Are you with me? Watch. The Father draws, the Son raises up on the last day. In 639. And the Spirit gives eternal life. In John 6.63. The Father draws. The Son redeems. The Spirit gives life. That's how a person is saved. We respond to the calling of God. We accept the, the forgiveness that's offered at the cross. And the Holy Spirit gives us that life. Jesus quotes... Isaiah fifty four thirteen says, All your sons will be taught of the Lord, and the well being of your sons will be great. He also makes a reference to Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty one to thirty-four. He says, But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and in their heart, and I will write it. I will be their God, they will be my people. They'll no longer need they will no longer they will not teach again, I'm sorry. Each man and his neighbor, and each man and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the last of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sins will remain no more. So God, how does God draw through the proclamation of his word? He'll draw you. God's word is proclaimed. When you come to Bible study, it's the word is proclaimed. When you read the Bible, it's proclaimed and he draws you into that place through the word and you're washed in the word. John 5:39 to 40 says, "You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's these that testify to me that you, but you're unwilling to come. You want to be saved? Believe in God and His word. and what he says. He gave the word to believe, but if you reject the word, there's no hope. In Romans 10: 16 and 17. However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says. The Lord who has believed our report. So faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing by the word of Christ. Okay. Jesus says, in order to have eternal life, you have to do the work of faith. We know the work of faith is what? Believe. And if you believe, you will see. How do I believe? I learned to believe by faith through studying God's word why we study God's Word, because this grows our faith. And the Holy Spirit brings the Word of life to us. And it's interesting because he says the one believing has, present tense, eternal life. When do you have eternal life? When does eternal life begin? When you die? The moment you believe. The moment you believe you have eternal life. And I want you to think about that assurance. If the moment I believe I have eternal life, does it matter what happens to this body? No. Because I'm going to trade it up. The moment I believe I have eternal life, I become alive. But for the one that doesn't believe, they're a walking dead person. They're dead and they'll remain dead. And so that's why we believe. And it's this mystical work that we can't explain. It's a spiritual work. And Jesus says that he's the bread of life that, that gives life. It, it comes from him. Manna doesn't work. And the grumbler said, look it, we want manna. Well, guess what? The people that got manna, they died. What do we want? I want Jesus. I want His Word. I want His promises. And in verse 51, He gives a summary. Ego a me. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. Forget the manna. Look at me. Jesus answers this argument, and He calls for a commitment. Because they've got to tell you, Jesus wants a commitment. To believe means to to put your full weight in and requires a commitment. He does something that would be offensive to the Jews. Notice what he says in verse 52 to 59. Then the Jews began to argue with one another. How is this man going to give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father who. So he who eats me also has life or lives because of me. And this is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as a father ate and died, but who eats the bread that will live forever. So is Jesus promoting cannibalism? No, he's not. He's using it figuratively. They want physical manna. He says, no, I'm the bread of life. The sustenance is what you need within this. They're arguing and contending. Yeah, how is he going to give us this bread? What is he talking about? I can tell you this, the natural man cannot understand spiritual things. They're just not getting it. Why? Why? Because they're not believing, therefore they cannot comprehend or see. They refuse. And so what Jesus is using is the illusion of the Passover lamb. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus come in John 1.29, he says, the next day he saw Jesus come, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist is saying, go eat Jesus. No. But just as the Passover lamb, and if you remember, the lamb had to be roasted... They would eat it in haste, and the blood would be put on the doorpost and the lintel, and the angel of death would pass over. Remember that? Jesus is that Passover lamb, and so it's this illusion. But they were arguing, unless you eat, you have this. Well, where is life? Life is in the food. And he uses this picture. When I take food and I put it in, it goes into my body. Now, if I'm taking Jesus in, then we have fellowship together. What is Jesus saying? You have to internalize this relationship. It's not an external relationship. It's an internal relationship. Why would it be offensive to the Jews? Well, one of the reasons why it would be offensive to the Jews is the fact that they hated anything with blood. It would be, it would be a sin to within this. They would grumble and they complain. In fact, verse 60 to 65 says, Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to this? But Jesus, conscious that the disciples grumbled, said, Does this cause you to stumble? And what then if you see the Son of Man ascending as before? It is the Spirit who gives life. So now he says it's spiritual, and the flesh profits nothing. And I've spoken to you about spirit or life. These words that I speak are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning. Note, he knew from when? The beginning. Who they were and who did not believe. Who it was that would betray him. Speaking of Judas. And he was saying, for this reason I have come to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him from the Father. So within this, Jesus says, look, I already know who the fringe followers are. I already know. But does Jesus give them every opportunity to believe? Yes. They all hear the same gospel. And they push back within this. Jesus is aware of their internal conflict. But he talks to his twelve and he says, Does this stumble you also? I'm talking about spiritual things. And he clarifies it. What would it take for you to believe? For the Jews, the cross would be scandalous. To believe in someone who died on the cross? I can't do it. Why? Because anyone who dies on the cross is accursed. Within this. We got to understand that it is it is a spiritual transformation. It is a spiritual work. Therefore I believe in my heart and let the Holy Spirit indwell in me. In Acts chapter one, eight and nine says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in both Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And after he said these things he was lifted up And they were looking at a cloud and they received it in sight. It is a spiritual function. But Jesus knew who would not believe. So much so that about what's about to happen is called a blessed subtraction within this. He challenges his disciples for a commitment. Notice what he does in 66 to 71. As a result of this. Many of his disciples withdrew. Wait a minute, his disciples The word disciple means learners. Many of the learners that were following withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. And so Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Ah, there's faith. But we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One. Declaration. And Jesus answered and he said, Did I marvel? Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Speaking of Judas. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Scareta, for he was the one of the twelve that was going to betray him. When Jesus calls for a commitment, he calls for that commitment, and, and yet there are some people that won't make that commitment. In Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 10, it says this, But what does it say? The word is near you and near your mouth and your heart. That at the word of faith which we are preaching, note that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, what? You will be saved. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness, with the mouth there is confession. Faith with action. It's that essence of faith, to believe what God has already declared. And that faith calls for a commitment. And he goes to the disciples and says, are you going to leave too? There's a lot of people, and you probably know a lot of people, that at one point in time they were coming to church, going to Bible study, and even, even given the appearance of walking with God. But something happened and they turned their back. Why? Because they didn't believe. They didn't believe. It was not faith unto works. Peter declares this truth. And in Matthew 16, 16, he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is your declaration. Do you believe? If you believe, do you declare that Jesus is the Son of God? That's where we're at. There is in our world today and in the church proper today, a great apostasy. There are many people that are no longer going to church as a result of COVID and all of the other things because life got difficult. And they use all of the distractions and all of the deflections. Why don't go to church anymore? Because it's full of hypocrites. Really? So I'm just going to I'm just going to I'm going to call myself a Christian, but not go to church. Show mm, me how that works. I believe, but I believe in my own way. So I'm going to go pray to a rock or I'm going to go pray to a tree or whatever. No. What you believe in your heart, you'll confess. In other words, what your faith is in will be demonstrated. And that faith is founded on the Word of God. And the thing is, that, that Jesus ends with, is this. I know who believes, and I know who doesn't. You ain't fooling God. Judas was in the crowd. And Jesus says, I know you all believe. Well, except for the one. But he even allows him to, to hang on. It's a mystical work of faith. But in this, and in the ministry of Jesus, and in our lives, He calls for a commitment. If you believe, then you'll live it. It's pretty simple. Now, what about those that don't believe? Those that don't believe, they don't know what they don't know. So what should we do? Go tell them. Share the gospel with them. Just like Jesus shares the gospel with them, and the gospel was shared with you, Go tell them. Give them that opportunity because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Give them the Word of God. Let's pray. God, I thank You that You give to us the privilege of faith, the opportunity to come before You. God, I thank You for the fact that You chose me before I accepted and responded to You that while I was yet a sinner, Jesus, You died on the cross for my sins. God, I thank You that You pursued me and drew me to Yourself. And having seen You, Lord Jesus, I believe, I believed when I didn't see You, but now I see clearly that You are the Son of God, that You loved me and died for my sins. I pray that each person here would be able to declare this. And as we close tonight, Maybe tonight you're wrestling with faith. Don't overcomplicate it. Just simply believe with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your being that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died for you. God, I thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And everyone said, Amen. Praise Jesus. We'll see you on Sunday.
2: Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m.